Hood by J.M. Bullpit Read by Jack Collard Chapter 10. Hidden. A flurry of activity, as well as much preening and stubbing out of pungent Russian cigarettes, accompanied the arrival of the Mona Lisas back into the kitchen. Ivor, tell me the craft is checked and ready, said Gwen, the hulking specimens of humankind parting in front of her. Madame Soon's people say it is, Gwen, replied Ivor, instantly gliding to her side. The rest of the bodyguards automatically clustered around their bosses in well-rehearsed formations, immediately adopting looks of alert professionalism. Just before reaching the threshold of the kitchen doorway, Gwen turned and addressed the small army before her. We have an operation in South America tonight. Madame Sun's team will know of it already, but we have need of you all. Please follow me. Deanne and Wanda's people waited for the nods from their bosses. Then, without question or even a look of inquiry, they stepped into line behind the legion of muscle that represented Soon's bodyguards. Deanne managed to jostle her protection to be next in the procession, leaving Wanda and her bodyguards bringing up the rear. A tall, good-looking Italian man in his late twenties led Wanda's people, contently gazing at one of Deanne's female bodyguards ahead of him, safe in the knowledge that he was ogling her behind his shades. "'Dangerous territory there, mafia man,' said Cleo defiantly, without turning around to look at the man staring at her. "'Si, senora, but territory worth conquering, yes.' Cleo stopped mid-stride, and peeled off from the back of Deanne's group to face the young Italian. Toe-to-toe, the slender West Indian woman and the tall young man faced each other, their reflections stretching to infinity in both their mirrored sunglasses. "'I dare you to try, mafia man,' said Cleo. Without warning, a hand suddenly slapped the back of the young Italian's head with some force. He did not wince, but his grin faltered. 
Cleo's own smile spread wide and she returned to her group. Giancarlo, I have warned you. Scusa, capo. I have known dogs with more control of themselves than you, continued Wanda in full rant. Maybe I'll replace you with Dutchant. Even a mongrel yet to do toilet outside might be better. Maybe a dog might have got us ahead of the Anne's people, allowing them to go in front of us just to impress a woman. What the hell is wrong with you? Excuse the capo. Imbeciles like you give Mafia a bad name. At the head of the line, Robbie felt he could never become accustomed to the sight of his grandma, Ivor and himself leading this throng of armed, lethal individuals through this familiar setting. Grandma, is it only women who are allowed into the Mona Lisas? The world is a matriarchal place, Robbie. Is it not, Vasily? Sorry, Madame Carol, Vasily does not understand the word matriarchal, replied the Russian from just behind them. So sorry. I said the world is run by females, Vasily. Almost every society of creatures, from ants to elephants, from bees to lions, is governed by females. It is the natural order of things, don't you think? If you say so, Madame Kettle. But you don't believe it, Vasily? It is not the Russian way, I think. I think Mother Russia would disagree, Vasily. Robbie noticed the corner of Vasily's thick moustache turn upward slightly. Is true. I am fond of my own mother. To answer your question, sweetie, the answer is yes. Only women may join the Mona Lisas, explained Grandma Gwen. There are tensions enough between us as it is, but it is our belief a man, through no other fault than that of his gender, would try to rule the Mona Lisas and use us as an extension of his own organisation. We let the gangsters and organised criminals of the world claim that their organisations are run by men. That suits us, and to the greater extent, they're right. But we can bring our influence to bear upon many of them without seeking the attendant notoriety or risk that the leader has to endure. Anyway, who would suspect a bunch of old dears? Grandma... Why haven't Mum and I discovered any of this before? I'm surprised that wasn't your first question. It has been in the past. You have discovered us before, Robbie, several times. Remember? Hydrogen, pilfer, conflict, cuckoo, kingdom. Remember now? Instantly, snatches of images, sounds, feelings and memories that had been locked deep within a compartment of Robbie's brain previously unknown to him seeped into life. One memory began to expand, to fill his conscious thought, and suddenly he was much younger than he was now, hiding beneath Grandma's beautiful map table. Shuffling and contorting, shuffling and shifting, without end as ten legs stretched and flex. A foot connects with him. All the legs draw in. The five faces of his grandma and four aunts peer down at him indulgently. The young Robbie puts a finger to his lips and tells them they must be quiet. A second memory swelled like a bubble enveloping his attention. Younger still, dashing into grandma's kitchen full of people, in one hand, the heavy old revolver that fired caps, in the other, his blue water pistol. 
not even a glance at the bits of metal targeting him, straight over to a huge potato-faced man with thick, bony crags forming a brow over his deep-set eyes. You're ugly, the young Robbie had said. Let my grandma go and I'll let you live. Let her go, but we're not. You must be Robert, the spud-faced man replied, chuckling to himself. Bad answer. The young Robbie fired both his guns. A gangly West Indian man feigned taking a bullet to his chest, while Spudface got his face drenched. A fine shot, Robert, Spudface replied, his chuckle developing into a hearty laugh. He wipes away the droplets of water from the crevices in his forehead and adds in a more serious tone, There is something of your father in you, I see. A new memory now. Only sounds, a time not that long ago. Robbie sensed that he was feeling betrayed. Robbie, please try to understand, pleaded Ivor. It is precisely because I care for you that I don't want you involved. People will die, this is not child's play. I will not have you harmed. You are family to me. I'm not your family and you're not my father, and I'm already involved. Robbie, you're not listening to me. No, what? What's the point? You won't remember any of this anyway. The memories burst and Robbie's mind suddenly shot forward to the present. He was almost stumbling down the hallway with Grandma and Ivor by his side, followed by the most intimidating group of people who had ever marched along a Bristolian hallway. But why couldn't I recall any of it? said Robbie, not meaning to give voice to his thoughts. Turning towards Ivor... Robbie had noticed that Grandma's bodyguard had flipped open a panel within the armrest of the wheelchair and was tapping a code on a keypad. In response, the doors to the lift in the hallway opened, followed by a second... In response, the doors to the lift in the hallway opened, followed a second later by a loud clank and the back wall of the lift slid aside to reveal a smooth passageway hewn into rock. Not even in Robbie's newly released memories had he ever seen anything like this before. With a rapid downward stroke of his arms, Ivor propelled himself forward, through the lift, to come to a halt beside a metal rail running the length of the tunnel. He pulled down a flat piece of metal attached to the rail and, one after the other, Gwen Carroll, then Sun Ji, followed by Diane Walker and finally Wanda Silvano, sat down upon it. Gwen pressed a switch and the metal seat began to glide along the rail and further along the rock tunnel as the lady's muscle wheeled or strode along beside them. Almost immediately, the passageway doubled back upon itself then stretched ahead, dropping downwards and curving slightly so Robbie could not make out what lay ahead of them. Doors and other tunnels led off from the central route, but no one even glanced at them. The wall lift continued forward and downwards at a sedate speed, accompanied by the rank of bodyguards, their marching feet upon the floor, echoing and re-echoing around the rock walls as if an entire army battalion was trudging through Gwen Carroll's property. The passageway ended at a huge, well-lit cavern, which appeared to be a natural formation in the rock. 
dominating virtually the entire floor area of the cave, was a smooth, hump-backed vehicle of some kind, the size of a small warehouse. Robbie had never seen, read, or heard about anything like it before, and doubted that there was another aircraft like it in existence. Its outer skin seemed to be fashioned from luminous fish scales, but when Robbie inspected them closely, they appeared to be tens of thousands of mirrors covering the entire aircraft, reflecting him back perfectly. Yet, hardly any features such as vents, engine exhaust, or windows broke through the surface of its outer skin. Only a lowered ramp at the back of the vessel disrupted its impeccable lines. The hood. One of Madame Sun's mimic technologies, Robbie. It's capable of space travel and speeds exceeding Mach 8 far faster in space, explained Ivor, who had coasted up beside him noiselessly. Sun is so far ahead of all other similar technologies it's embarrassing. But don't people see it when they look into the cave? asked Robbie looking at the thick, gauze-like material that appeared to cover the mouth of the cavern, offering hazy views straight out into the Avon Gorge. Madame Sun again. She uses the same stuff to create a working environment for her miners on the asteroids. Outside, it appears to be ordinary cliff face that has caved in. You can climb on the material and it behaves like rock. We haven't even had a problem with abseilers. They just don't notice any difference. It folds away for the few moments it takes us to launch, to be replaced by a holographic projection. Even as he stood there, astonished at the secrets that were being shown to him, Robbie suddenly had a feeling that Ivor was reluctant to leave his side. In the time they had been talking, Robbie's three aunts and all their bodyguards had trooped up the ramp and onto the aircraft. Only Gwen, and of course Ivor, as well as himself, remained in the cavern. Robbie found the silence unnerving and ominous as his grandma approached him, adjusting her necklace that began to emit short pulses of bright light. We have to leave now, Robbie, but you will remain here. Gwen Carroll's voice seemed to surge and expand, filling the entire cavern and Robbie's mind. Oxygen, cuckoo, domain. Once we have gone, you will feel tired and feel a desperate need to lie down to sleep. In a matter of seconds, Robbie unaccountably began to feel tiredness stealing up his body like paralysis. Not going back, Grandma, he said drowsily. Not going back to Sage. Not now, Robbie. We will talk about such matters and your stepfather when I return. Don't resist the tiredness. Let it wash over you and lull you. Don't want to forget again. Yes, Robbie, forget. It is safer if you remember nothing. You want to be safe, of course. The sleep is overwhelming. The tiredness is insistent. It has been such a long day for you. You need the warmth of bed. You will go to bed and sleep long and peacefully. You will forget. Why couldn't I remember the other times? Robbie asked himself, but he was finding it close to impossible to think clearly. Grandma's voice was overpowering as it coaxed him into unconsciousness and the flashing lights on the necklace made his eyes bewildered and tired. Something Grandma said had unlocked them. 
the last resistance in Robbie's mind replied, Something to do with kingdom. The warmth, Robbie. You need warmth. Your bed here is safe, peaceful, cosy. You will go to bed. You will only remember breaking into the house and going to your room where you fell asleep. You will remember nothing else. Remember nothing else. The last barricade to the invasion of tiredness brought on by his grandma's projected voice was eroding rapidly. All her suggestions seemed so wise and inevitable. You will remember nothing of the Mona Lisa's or their bodyguards. Ivor will simply be your friend, and I will be your grandmother. You will remember nothing of the fortune teller. The fortune teller. A dwindling part of Robbie's mind was putting up resistance. However, now Robbie could not even remember what he had forgotten, but the word kingdom kept repeating itself like a heartbeat. Eisenbard Kingdom Brunel? No, that was not it. An element? But there are so many elements, he told himself. But it was the first element. Hydrogen. Hydrogen Kingdom. No, there was more to it. A desk. Scratches and letters carved into a desk. Hydrogen. Pilfer. Conflict. Cuckoo. Kingdom. The tiredness that had overwhelmed Robbie's mind evaporated in an instant. As Gwen Carroll touched her necklace and the flashing lights vanished, she turned away from her grandson, still believing him to be in a trance. Is that the talent Aunt Diane was talking about, Grandma? Is that what you did to Aunt Delphine? Hypnotism? Robbie asked. Hydrogen, pilfer, conflict, cuckoo, kingdom. Robbie found himself quite relishing his chance to wield his own surprise as his grandma and Ivor stared back at him in astonishment. Damn it, Gwen, replied Ivor. I knew something like this would happen. You always push it too far. You will go to bed, Robert, said grandma, but there was a note of alarm in her voice now which broke the mesmeric spell entirely. Oxygen, cuckoo, domain. You will hydrogen, pilfer, conflict, cuckoo, kingdom. No, I won't, and I don't feel tired, and I don't need warmth. What does hydrogen kingdom mean, anyway? What does oxygen cuckoo domain mean? Gwen Carroll's gaze turned first to the aircraft and then to her bodyguard, looking for counsel. But Ivor was staring at the roof of the cavern, sighing deeply. For the first time that evening... Robbie witnessed his grandma in a state of uncertainty. Then something settled in her mind. She grabbed her grandson's shoulders and spoke softly to him. Hydrogen pilfer conflict cuckoo kingdom is a hypnotic trigger phrase to unleash all the memories I have barred from you through hypnotism. Oxygen cuckoo domain locks them away again, she explained. Pyrenean charlatan mole locks delphines. They are just words I associate with the person, but am unlikely to string together accidentally in normal conversation. Hydrogen kingdom. Why am I hydrogen kingdom? Hydrogen and oxygen are the combined elements of water, which is crucial to life on this planet at least. You are vital to me.
kingdom, domain, because you and your mother rule a large part of my life. Don't ask me about the others now. She searched into her grandson's eyes and appeared to recognise something there. It is fitting. Your father was one of the few people in the world I could not hypnotise to. And the necklace? Lights and the amplified voice help you to produce a trance? Robbie asked. The necklace not only modulates my voice into a lower register, but also produces a separate infrasonic sound at two hertz. You won't hear anything. It is a frequency so low that humans cannot hear it, but produces potent physical and psychological sensations and makes subjects more susceptible to a trance-like state. Gwen Carroll glanced impatiently at the hood. I can explain more to you when I return, sweetie, but it is imperative that I leave now. Let me come with you, Grandma, pleaded Robbie. You have no idea what you will be embarking on, sweetie, notwithstanding the fact that Ivor would never forgive me. But maybe I can help you. Gwen Carroll smiled and kissed him on the forehead. I have been engaged in this for years, Robbie, and I have Ivor. She kissed him again. But it is not safe, and I would keep you safe. Have you wondered where your combat moves and self-defence skills come from? To keep you safe, I had Ivor teach and train you, then I embedded his training into your unconsciousness, only to be accessed when someone threatens to get dangerously violent with you. Anthony Cairns Mills and... Anthony Cairns Nash and Billy Mills. Robbie almost exhaled their names at the revelation. That's why I could fight them. It was like an instinct. Indeed. Although I confess that my intention was not for you to hospitalise a fellow student with those skills, Gwen replied, glancing once more at the unique aircraft called the Hood. I really must go. We're on a schedule, Robbie. Don't abandon me here, Grandma. I'm safer with you than I am with Gabriel Sage. Robbie beseeched his grandmother. Take me with you and I promise I'll do what you say and stay wherever you put me. Grandma Gwen pondered the turn of events for a moment, then turned an inquiring face towards Ivor Noon. No, Gwen, absolutely not. It is reckless. This whole phase of the Mona Lisa's operation is reckless enough as it is. It is now five and twenty to eleven, Ivor. Even with the time difference, we are in danger of being a tad tardy. Robbie can do no harm in the hood. And when does it stop? Ivor responded. On what venture do we not take Robbie? I think the old girl can still identify when she might be placing her family in peril, Ivor. Let's hope so, Gwen. Ivor turned his scowl away from his boss, as if he could no longer stand to look at her. The decision had been made, however. Just before they reached the ramp of the aircraft, Robbie deliberately stepped in front of Ivor Noon's wheelchair. Ivor, I've only just remembered a time when I said that you and I are not family. You are family to me. I was wrong. Sorry. Great, Robbie. That just makes the whole situation worse. Ivor leaned in to whisper to Robbie, even though they were the only two left in the cavern. What goes on here with the Mona Lisa's is the reverse of family. I know Vasily, Cleo and the others, but I would have no hesitation in leaving them if they fell behind. I might even have to turn on them one day, but you are family to me too. Therefore, you make me weak. 
what you are about to become involved in is dangerous in the extreme. I cannot concentrate on what I have to do if I have half a mind on worrying about you too. Understand? Robbie nodded, but he could not feel sorry or fearful. He had to hide his grinning. It seemed adventure had come calling for him at long last. <laughs>